Amen. Well, our my main theme text or scripture for tonight is Lamentations 3.27. And it says this, It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is still young. Now you could put, it is good for a young man or a young lady to bear the yoke while he is still young. Now, what does that mean to bear the yoke? I, uh, I got to preach standing up. I can't sit down and preach. What does it mean to bear the yoke? It means to accept responsibility. It means to work hard in developing good habits and develop the discipline to form godly character. It's good to do that while you're young and not wait till you get older to start working on the spiritual formation of your life. And that's what the scripture is saying there. Why is it so good to do it while we're young? Well, because it's a lot easier to mold somebody that is young than it is to fix somebody that is old and broken. Can I hear any of you say amen? Right? And so it's a lot, it's a lot easier to change when you're young. As you get older, it becomes harder and harder. You've heard the saying, it's hard to teach uh, an old dog new tricks. You've heard of that. Well, that saying is true. When you try to train a dog, whenever they're a puppy, you can get them to learn stuff. But as they get older and they formulate habits, it's hard to change them. Well, humans are like that too. Whenever we work on our character and we discipline ourselves to grow in the Lord, it's always easier to grow whenever you're young than whenever you wait to get older, right? Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, don't let the excitement of being young cause you to forget about your creator. Honor him in your youth before the evil years come when you no longer enjoy living. Now, you know, being young is like being in the spring of your life. Like if you took your li- the lifespan and you broke it up in the seasons, like, you know, like for instance, ages 12 to 25, you would say that's the springtime of life. And then whenever you get to like 25 to 40, now you're in the summertime of life. And then when you get to 55 or, or to, excuse me, 40 to 55 is the fall of life. And then 55 to 75 is the winter of life. As you get older, the, the light starts dimming. But whenever you're young, you're in the springtime of life. Amen? You got a lot of spring in your step, right? And so as youth, you're in the spring of your life. Now, what you do in the spring of your life affects all the other seasons of your life. You know, as a, as a, as a former, if you garden, if you, your parents garden, your grandpa gardens, you know, they plow up the ground in the springtime. They plant seeds in the springtime. Some people just sit in their house and they don't do anything. And then the plants start growing. You change seasons and you get in the summer and then they're, you know, the former's out there just harvesting tomatoes and cucumbers and all this, this nice harvest while the guy that didn't pay attention to the springtime of his life has nothing to harvest. And so you see right now, you're in the springtime of your life. And if you will take seriously this season of your life and really pay attention and not just get just uh, distracted as with all the exciting things that go on and stay focused on your walk with God, you're going to plant some seeds that you're going to benefit from in the summer, in the fall, and in the winter of your life. The rest of your life will be blessed with it. Amen? You know, we just recently got back from snow skiing and... Um, 
you know, whenever we got ready to go, we had like a mental checklist, you know, like, okay, do we have some chapstick? Because it's real dry. And if you don't bring any chapstick, you're going to be suffering. And then we would say, okay, do we have any Kleenex? Because it's so cold, your nose will run. And then you needed goggles for the snow, sunglasses for the sun. You needed a trail map or you wouldn't know where to go. And so before we left the house, we made sure we had a check, mental checklist to make sure we had all this stuff with us so that when we got on the slopes, we could have a great day. And it's a, like, it's a lot like that whenever you're young. What you, what you pack into your life right now is going to make a difference in down the road while you're on the slopes of life. What you put in your life right now, you're going to benefit the rest of your life. Amen? And you know, that happens in the positive and it also happens in the negative. Whenever you pack the wrong things in your life, whenever you're young, you're going to suffer from those things the rest of your life. So see, being in the spring of life is so critical to the kind of life that you're going to live. And I know everyone in this room don't want to live a mediocre life, but you want to live a fulfilled and a blessed life. Am I right about that? Amen. So listen, what you spend time investing in your life now, you will be able to enjoy for generations to come. So we want to talk to you tonight about four character qualities that you should consider investing these principles that you should in, in, consider investing in your life right now while you have the energy, while you have the strength, while you're in the spring so that you'll be able to have a great life whenever you're 65 years old. You'll be able to look back and say, man, I'm so glad I made those choices whenever I was young. Amen? So here it goes. Here's number one. The first quality that you want to develop in, your, in the springtime of your life is you want to learn to respect and submit to authority. You know, all of us struggle with the same problem, and that problem is rebellion. We all do. So I don't know. I'm a good child. I'm sure that a lot of you give you no problems to your parents. But really, in our heart of hearts, there's something inside of us that is rebellious. And that's what the scripture says in Isaiah 53, 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray, and each of us have turned to his own way. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. So, you know, the reality is we all want our freedom. We don't want people telling us what to do all the time. Especially, you know, whenever you're, whenever you become teenagers, you know, you're, you're, you're getting smarter, your critical thinking skills, and you don't want your parents to tell you what to do all the time. You want some freedom to make your own choices, right? And that's true of whether you're a teenager or whether you're an adult. You want to make your own decisions and, and you want, uh, you want to be your own boss and you want, you want control over your life. You don't want somebody to just watch over you all the time. Am I right about that? Yeah. Three people. Three people said, yeah, that's right. And so, you know, the reality is nobody wants to be told what to do. So therefore, we tend to view authority as negative. Because authority wants to tell us what to do. Wants to, we feel like authority wants to control us. We feel like authority wants to rob our freedom away. And so consequently, what we do is we look at the authorities in our life as negative. But if we would really understand it right, authority, God designed it not to steal freedom from us, but actually to give us more freedom. 
And if we will look at it in the right perspective, regardless of who you are, what your plans are in life, I promise you, you cannot live your life without having to deal with authority somewhere. You know, whenever Tanya and I were youth pastors, we, we did, we, we worked with youth for about four and a half, five years. And, and we had, you know, every once in a while we had, you know, one of, our, one of the teenagers that was in our youth group wouldn't listen to anything. No, his parents couldn't tell him what to do. We couldn't tell him what to do. His teachers at school couldn't tell him what to do. He was his own boss. He'd do everything he wanted. He's, I'm not listening to anybody. And then one day we'd get the call and he was down there at Lafayette Parish Correctional Center being arrested. You can't get away from authority, right? Sooner or later, you have to, you have to face the music. But our natural tendency is to want to rebel against all authority. But I just want to encourage you tonight that submitting to authority, recognizing authority and submitting to it is not robbing your freedom away. It's really giving you more freedom. You remember Adam and Eve? I mean, think about those guys. They only had one rule. Don't eat of that fruit on that tree. That's the only rule they had to follow. Did they follow it? No, they didn't follow it. Now, let me ask you a question. After they ate of that fruit, did they gain more freedom or did they lose freedom? They lost freedom. They lost the paradise. They lost the provision of God because they didn't want to follow the one rule that God gave them. So that's a perfect example. Now, listen, you know, God places authority in our lives not to steal our freedom, but rather to increase it. And Romans 13.1 says, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. The authorities, verse 6 says, the authorities are God's servants sent for your good. So we need to remember that the purpose of authority in our lives is for our good. Now, I know I'm talking to teenagers. What? You can't tell me that parents are good for me. You know, and I understand that. I understand where you are and the struggles that you have with trying to establish your own independence, your own identity, trying to have some freedom and the struggle that you have. And and listen, by the way, your parents are freaking out, too, because they know that you're growing up and they're going to have to give you some more freedom. And and they've never been there before. And so they're freaking out. Everybody's freaking out. You're freaking out. They're freaking out. Everybody's freaking out. Right. But listen, you know, your parents, your school teachers, your pastors at church, your coach on your football or baseball team, all these different authority figures. The Bible says that God places them in your life for a reason. You know what the reason is? The reason is to deal with the rebellion in our hearts. And you see, here's what I've learned. That if I won't allow authority to deal with my heart here, then God's going to give me a chance to deal with it here. And it's always better that I learn to deal with authority at home than in Lafayette Parish Correctional Center. Are you all with me out there? It's always better to learn how to to deal with our heart at home in the context of a loving family than to rebel against it and have to deal with it at work where you lose your job or you deal with it, you know, somewhere else. And so I just want to encourage you tonight that one of the areas that everybody has to deal with 
is you got to learn to submit, recognize, respect, and submit to authority. You know, these authority figures that are in our life, you, you've seen that illustration of the umbrella? You know, it's the umbrella principle. You know, when it's raining outside, if you have an umbrella, you could stay dry. You could stay protected. And listen, you know, like, you know, we've watched, you know, we've watched people say, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. And they do their own thing and they won't listen to anybody and they get into all kinds of trouble because they get outside of that umbrella. But if you stay under the umbrella, it's going to be fine. See, like, you know, whenever you're a teenager, you can't understand why your parents come up with some of their conclusions and why they tell you that you can't do this, you can't do that. You just can't, for the life of you, you just can't figure it out. Like, did they lose their mind? What are they thinking? But you got to remember something, that God gave them authority in your life and God placed them in your life to protect you. And if you will learn to just... If, even if you don't understand it, just say, I'm going to follow it. You're going to stay under that umbrella and you're going to be blessed. Are you all hearing me out there? I know this is not like this greatest message right here, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And I can tell you personally that every time I've learned to submit to authority, whenever I came to work here at the church, I was working for Brother Francis for 11 and a half years. Sometimes he would ask me to do stuff that I didn't want to do. And I wanted to do something different. And I had to deal, even as a pastor, I had to deal with this rebellion in my heart. I didn't want to listen to him. I didn't want to follow his leadership. I wanted to do my own thing. But you know what? I had an experience where I wanted to do something here at the church, and it wasn't what Brother Francis wanted to do. And so I said, Brother Francis, would you allow me to do that? He said, go ahead. But my attitude wasn't right. I was rebellious and I was just wanting to do my own thing. And you know what? That whole program just flopped. It just totally flopped. And I was in prayer one day and I said, God, why didn't this thing go? He says, because you're rebelling against your authority. Instead of trying to do your own thing, why don't you ask Brother Francis what he wants to do and just support what he wants to do? So, man, I was shocked that I had that rebellious seed in my heart. But I just, through the grace of God, just said, you know what? I am just going to live the rest of my days serving Brother Francis here at the church. And, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't dealt with that rebellious seed in my heart. Now, here's the kicker of it, and we're going to be done with this point. All these authorities in our life, you know what they're really about? They're really about teaching us how to submit to God. That's really what it's all about. And the more you submit to God, the more you're going to be blessed. I mean, Adam and Eve lost paradise. Why? Because they rebelled against God. That's why. Come on. God has a paradise for you. But the only way you're going to really enjoy it is to just say, Lord, I'm going to look for authority, respect authority, and I'm going to submit to authority wherever I go. Amen? Come on, can I get a better amen? amen. All right, Miss Tanya's going to give you the next two points. Well, first of all, I just want to just say thank you for um, allowing Todd and I just the privilege and the honor to speak into your lives. You know, when we look at you, we think, um, 
you know, that you guys are the future. You're our future. But you know what? You're not just our future. You're our present, too. And so we we just really counted a, a privilege to be able to not just hopefully invest in your future and invest in our future, but also to just um, to just minister to you and just give you something for 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 the present for your present life, Amen. Because you know we the Bible talks about that about don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough worries of its own, and so. So we we want to see you as our future, and we want to invest in you as our future, but we don't want to forget that you're still on this earth here today and now, and that there are some things that you need here and now to live your life so that you can be fruitful and successful in the future. Amen? And um, and so we don't take this lightly at all. Amen. And so I just want to go ahead and get right into point number two, and um, I just... As I just share these next two points to you, I want y'all to just try to um, just allow the Holy Spirit to, um, their points, but allow the Holy Spirit to point out what he wants you to hear. Amen? You know, we can preach four points, and you can take all the notes that you want, and you can you can take everything home, and but but it's just four points if it doesn't hit your soul. And the Lord wants to give us nuggets he wants to give us aha moments. It's kind of like tweets from heaven. Yeah. And so just pay attention to what the Lord might be tweeting you tonight. Um, he, he just wants to, he wants to, he may just want to give you one nugget of truth that will change your life forever. Amen. And so don't be so worried or, or overwhelmed or consumed about how much we talk. And, um, but, but, Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying, because the Holy Spirit doesn't have to say much to get his point across like we do. Right. So um, number point number two is um, serving others, serving others. We really need to get that under our belt, Um, considering others before ourselves. You know, I think about that scripture that it's not in my notes, but I just thought about it earlier about the scripture that talks about. Um, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I think it's because in this day and age, our society is just getting more and more selfish, more and more self-centered. We don't want to serve. We want to be served. We want it to be all about us. And again, like Todd says, that just goes all the way back to the garden. We have a bent for selfishness and it's rooted in sin. It goes, it goes back to the garden. Again, society, culture, this day and age is just offering us more and more ways to feed our selfishness, right? They have taught us how to have the what's in it for me mindset. What's in it for me? Think about it. I am the center of the universe. What's in it for me? The world revolves around me. It's all about me, me, me. What you can do for me or what you did to me, right? It's always all about us. Think about this. Think about Instagram. How many selfies we take. We are in a culture and a society of selfishness. I I would encourage you to go back to your Instagram and count how many selfies you have of yourself on your Instagram page and tell me that this is not a society of selfishness. And so we, we really need to get this under our belt before the enemy gets us caught up in it. Because I really believe that 
that this generation of people that God is really going to separate you from the world in the days to come. And so there, and, and so God is just preparing his army. He's preparing his army. So, so we, we need to get this under our belt. You know, we have, we have a case of the meatitis and we need to get rid of that, right? We need to get inoculated from that. And the only way that we can be inoculated from the meatitis is to learn how to serve, to get a booster of servanthood. Okay. And so I just want to talk to you real quickly about that. You know, if we want to prepare ourselves for the successful trip through life that Todd's talking about, we need to learn to conquer selfishness and we learn to conquer selfishness by serving others. So how do we do that? And the um, Bible says in Philippians gives us a great example of, of how to be selfless and how to serve others. It's in Philippians chapter two, verses three through eight. And it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only uh, look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And I want to just break this scripture down really quickly of just ways that we can um, conquer selfishness, how what it means to serve others. And the scripture at the beginning says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do you know what this means? Do nothing out of selfish ambition. It, this just simply means serving without expecting anything in return. Serving without expecting anything in return. This is a different dynamic than just serving others, right? You know, a lot of us consider ourselves to have the gift of serving. I feel like I have the gift of serving. I love to serve. You know, we, and we are in youth group. We're in churches. We understand that Christians are called to serve. We're, we're taught to serve. We go on mission trips to serve. We volunteer to serve at church. We do community outreaches to serve. We serve our spouses because God calls us to serve our spouses. You know, serve, serve, serve. But, can you, can you and I just confess and admit that most of the time when we serve that there's a motive behind it? That we serve hoping, hoping and sometimes expecting to get something in return. I thank you. Oh my God, you're the most wonderful person in the world. You know, you're the greatest. Or we serve expecting people to return the favor. It's not just I'm serving you. I'm giving. Here it is. It's just me wanting to love you. It's a different dynamic. And, you know, whenever we serve and expect something in return, or we have ultimate, or we have alternative motives behind that, that's not service. That's a trade. That's just a trade off, right? Think about when Jesus washed the disciples' feet before he died for them. Before he gave every, he washed the disciples' feet. 
He didn't go and wash everyone's feet and then sit down and say, okay, now it's my turn. He said, he washed the disciples' feet one by one, and then he died. He took it further. He died expecting nothing in return. That's true service. Amen? Number two, the scripture says, consider others better than yourself. You know, this just simply means that we need to treat others as if they were more important to us. You know, it doesn't mean that one person is better than the other. It doesn't mean that you are a God and I am a dog. That's not what it means to consider others better than yourself. You know, that's just putting yourself down. And that's not what God has called us to do. But I want you to imagine, think about maybe someone that you admire. Maybe maybe you have a, a sports hero or maybe an actor or... um or a musician that's someone that you really admire. Think about that for a second. Just come up with, with a person who you admire. And, and think about if that person would come to your house for dinner one night. How would you treat that person? Would you treat that person with the ultimate respect? Would you make sure that person had everything they needed? Would you make sure that that person was comfortable and it would be all about that person? Well, God is calling us to treat everybody like that, to treat each other like that, with the utmost respect, with the utmost love, as if they were the most important thing on the planet. That's all God is calling us to do. It's not about putting ourselves down. It's about just making other people feel important, okay? And that's how we can serve people. The Another part of the scripture says, to look out for the interest of others. This just simply means don't be consumed with your own interests, your own dreams, your own problems, your own wants, and your own desires. You know, let other people have the spotlight for once. Yeah? Let them have the spotlight. Don't be like, you know, you know, be able to celebrate their victories without you having to throw yours in there too. You know, I am so happy for you that, you know, that you, you were able to get this, but look what I got. And, and don't be, you know, when, when they're, they need support and they're going through a rough time, you know, just be there for them. You don't even need to, you know, we're so bad about that. You know, I'm sorry you're going through this, but man, guess what I'm going through? You know, just look out for their interests. And, you know, I know you're hurting you know, I, I'm hurting sometimes when other people, but, but just lay your, your own agenda aside, lay your own emotions, lay your own things aside for just a minute to just support that person, to make them feel like, like you're just there for them and you don't have an ulterior motive. Okay. And finally, and most importantly, uh, when the scripture says in verse seven, it's, um, we just need to follow Christ's example of humility. And the scripture in verse 7 said that Jesus made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant and he humbled himself. And, you know, I think a, a lot of times when it comes to serving, that that is the missing key. That is the missing key. It's not the serving part. We can serve. But it's to have the attitude of a servant, the attitude that Jesus had. 
You know, Jesus, it says that he made himself nothing. Jesus developed an attitude of servanthood. He made himself nothing. Now, the word nothing here doesn't mean that you're worthless, but it means that your worth is not for yourself. Your worth is for others. Your worth is for God. And Jesus did that. He made himself nothing. He made himself nothing so that his worth and his value could be for others and could be for God, to bring about God's purpose, to bring about God's plan and to minister to others. And God is calling us to do the same thing, to make ourselves nothing, not to make ourselves worthless, but to make ourselves nothing so that we can be worth something to God. And something to others. And you know what? This is not an easy thing. This takes a supernatural power. Only God can give us to do it. Because it was a supernatural act of Jesus to die on the cross for us. So for us to lay down our lives and to serve without condition, without motive, without um, getting something in return, to give out of love, to serve out of love... That takes a supernatural act, and it takes the help of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Number three, the, um, just the third point, we need to learn to love ourselves. Not only do we need to learn how to love others and serve others, but we have to learn to love ourselves. Now, this may sound contradictory to the previous point of servanthood, right? How can I love myself and deny myself? How can I love myself and make myself nothing? How is that possible? You know, the scripture says in Luke chapter 10 and 27 to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, I I believe that there's two views or definitions of loving yourself. The first one is really our view. It's, it's, um, It's how we define loving ourselves, how we divine, define self-love. It's, it's an earthly mindset. And then there's a, there's a definition, um, and, and there's God's definition of, of loving yourself, his view. And the scripture here in Luke chapter 10 talks, that's what he's talking about, is, is God's definition of loving ourselves. You know, just going back real quick to serving others and loving others. Do you know why it's so hard for us to do that? Do you know why it's so hard to love other people, especially people who are mean, who are people who are rude? It's hard to love other people and serve other people, usually because we don't really love ourselves. As a matter of fact, we actually despise ourselves, some of us. We actually hate ourselves, some of us. Another reason it's hard for us to love others sometimes is because we, we may have a distorted view of what it means to love ourselves. So we either, we either don't really truly love ourselves or we have a distorted view of what it really means to love ourselves. Have you ever heard the saying? I know Todd said it many times and I've heard it many times that if Satan can't tear you down, he will puff you up. Yeah, I think this this statement goes with learning to love yourself. 
If Satan can't tear you down, he will puff you up. I think this is his tactic, that this is a tactic that he uses in the area of loving yourself. You know, first he will try to tear you down, right? Um, he will take a painful or a negative experience and attach a lie to it. For example, it's your fault that your parents divorced. You should be ashamed of yourself. You are used goods. You failed as a friend. You, you were not able to reconcile that friendship. You're a failure as a friend. God will never forgive you for what you have done. That's how he tries to tear us down, taking bad experiences and attaching lies to them. Or he will use our parents, our teachers, or our peers' words or actions towards us to send us distorted messages about ourselves. For example, you're a failure. You're stupid. Maybe a parent has abandoned you and you have believed the lie that you're not wanted. Maybe someone has told you you're never, you'll never amount to anything or you can't do anything right or you can't succeed. The enemy will use those lies to try to tear us down so we can't love ourselves. Not that we can't love ourselves, so we won't love ourselves. Or he will whisper thoughts in our ears in the first person. I am a mistake. I am ugly. I can't do anything right. No one will ever want me. There's nothing special about me. God doesn't care about me. I will never amount to anything. I am weak. I don't deserve God's love. And the lies just go on and on and on. Now, how many of you can just relate to that right now? That you have just, you have experienced that, whether through a negative experience or just through something a parent or a teacher or, or someone in authority has said or done to you, or just even whispers of the enemy into your ear that make you that make you believe that it's, it's your voice saying, I am. Now, another way that Satan operates is he'll try to puff us up. If he can't tear us down, he'll try to puff us up. And he does this by distorting the definition of self-worth. You know, he'll, he'll try to convince us uh, through the use of society and peers that self-worth comes in the form of success or achievement, or excellence, or perfection, or a career, or popularity, good grades, uh, the way you look, the way you dress, relationships, that these are the things that will make you love yourself. If you can accomplish all of these works, or if you can have a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a great relationship, that that's how you you will love yourself when you can gain acceptance in all these other things. You know, this basically is the enemy's way and his definition of loving ourselves, who we are and what we can do rather than who we are in Christ and what 
he does through us. Do you see the difference in the definition of the earthly view of loving yourself and God's view? Now, it's obvious that some of these things are not wrong. Some of these things in and of themselves are not wrong. It's not wrong to make good grades. It's not wrong to succeed. It's not wrong to do, to, uh, to, to have excellence in the things that you do. But when you do these things to meet the need of self-worth, it becomes a wrong motive. Yeah. You know, there's a difference between striving for excellence and having a spirit of excellence. You know, striving for excellence is, is done so that you can please yourself. But having a spirit of excellence is done so that you can be pleasing to the Lord. There's a difference. So it's not what you do in some cases, but it's why you do it. What are you doing? What are you trying to gain from it? Are you trying to gain self-love from it? I can tell you, you may gain it for a little while, but it's only going to be temporary and you're going to need more and more and more. And you're going to start looking to other things because it will not fulfill the deepest need in your life to love yourself that only God can fill. When you do these things to please yourself, it's not self-love. It's self-lust. It's self-lust. And it can even backfire because it can send us into a state of insecurity because when we start doing things and we start failing at those things and we start looking and comparing ourselves to the way other people are doing it and they are succeeding, it can just spiral us into insecurity and hopelessness. So it will either puff us up or it will backfire on us. So how do we love ourselves the way that God intended for us? I'm almost done. Number one, we need to allow God to love us. You know, we are raised in a Christian home. We were raised in church and we're taught you need to love God. You need to love God. But we will never be able to love ourselves until we can first allow God to love us in return. We need to open up our hearts and let him love us. You know, we learn from experience. We learn how to truly love ourselves when we experience God's love for us. You know, the Bible says that God is love. And when we allow God to love us, our understanding of self-love and self-worth changes. Basically, our view of love changes from a horizontal view, a horizontal understanding of love. What I mean by that is comparison works, what I can do for you that makes me feel good about myself. Our view of love changes from a horizontal view to a vertical view. How God feels about me, what he thinks about me, hearing what he says about me. You know, no one can love, love us the way that God can. No one can. Not a girlfriend, not a boyfriend, not a mother, not a father, not a friend, not a grandparent. No one can love us like God can love us. And until we open up our hearts and receive that from God and allow us to allow him to love us, we will never love ourselves to the potential and the degree that we need to, 
to, to be and do all that he's called us to be. Amen. When we allow God to love us and all of a sudden our, our understanding and our view becomes vertical and we realize that, you know what? I love myself because I know what my true worth is. I know what my true value is. And so, you know what? It's okay if other people do things better than I do. It's okay if I can't do this, but I can do that. It's okay. It doesn't matter what I look like. It doesn't matter what I dress. That's not where my, 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 my worth lies. It, it lies in how much God loves me, that I am valuable to him, and that in whatever capacity he uses me is the greatest capacity for me and who he wants me to be. And it is no better and it's no less than any, anything else that anybody else can do. We can't compare ourselves to others. You know, I, I was raised in a Christian home. I've been saved since 12 years old. You know, my parents raised me in this church, family life church. I've been in church and I'm, I just had a birthday. I'm 40 something years old now. And I know like y'all think that that's old, but when you get to be my age, it's really not that old. So I was, you know, I've been through life. I've had lots of experiences. I've walked through a lot of things. I've had a lot of bad experiences. And, you know, I, you know, over those years, I, I began to believe some lies about myself, you know, lies like I was a mistake, lies like I, I'm secondary, I'm forgettable, um, I will never measure up, like I have nothing to offer. And, and think about that. I'm a, I brought those false beliefs about myself into my teenage years and then into my adult years, and in, then into my marriage and into my ministry. And let me tell you, that's a miserable life to live, to, to be in God's will and do everything that God has called you to do, but you don't like yourself. You don't like yourself. It's a miserable place to be. It's not a fun place to be. And, you know, Todd just called y'all, those of you up who felt a calling on your life, And I want to encourage you, let God show you how to love yourself now before you get in the ministry, because I'm going to tell you right now, it's not fun. And I know some of you can agree with me who are already in the ministry. It is not fun to be in the will of God, but still miserable because you don't have any self-worth or self-value. So I just want to encourage you, let God love you, experience his love experience his love. He, he, he's a God. He's an experiential God. Yeah. He's not just a God that is in the Bible or who's, you know, that you hear about, but he's an experiential God and he, he will speak to you. I guarantee it. He will speak to you. And I'm telling you, if you will go home and, and get with God and just say, Lord, Show me a lie that I believed about myself. He'll show you. And then ask him, Lord, what do you have to say about me? I guarantee you, he will give you a tweet. He will give you a nugget. He will give you a kiss from heaven. Something that has your name on it. You know, God doesn't talk to us in standardized, with standardized messages. 
He puts our name on it. He gives us a Tanya prayer. He gives us a Kia word. He gives us uh, an Elijah, an Elijah kiss, a kiss from heaven that only is only for Elijah. And that's what'll set people free is when you don't, when you get something that has your name on it, I guarantee you the Lord will, will give you that. And it will be only for you because that's how the Lord set me free. He gave me a word that even if I had time to share it with you, you wouldn't have a clue what it meant. But I know what it means to me because it was something that I was going through and only I can relate to it. So it's only something, it's, it's like, it's, it's my kiss. It's nobody else's kiss. It's only for me and God will do it for you. And um, lastly, we can learn to love ourselves when um, when we um, apply the biblical definition of love to ourselves. And what I mean by that is, you know, we read a million and one times in the Bible about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Do you know what that's called? The love chapter? You know, we we read that and we always say, okay, we need to refer that to how we should love others, but we really should apply that to the way we love ourselves. Yeah. And I just want to go through it real quick. First Corinthians chapter 13 verses one through seven. And as we read it, I want you to think about yourself, loving yourself. Don't not about other people, not about your brother, not about your boyfriend, loving yourself. Okay. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, if I can't love myself, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love for myself, I gain nothing. Do you get this for yourself? Think about it. When you devalue yourself, when you can do all these things, but you devalue yourself and you have, you don't have love for yourself, you're devaluing your creator. And so he, we need to love ourselves to, to be able to do all these things and, and feel, feel the value that God really has placed on us. Verse four, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Are you patient with yourself? Are you kind to yourself? Do you envy? Do you boast? Are you proud? It says in verse five, it is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Basically, it's not a horizontal view of love. But verse 7 says, uh, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. That's vertical love. That's the vertical love. And so I just want to encourage you, you know, get alone with God and ask the Holy Spirit to show you what parts of this love that you have denied yourself And what parts that you have indulged yourself? What parts of the vertical love have you denied yourself? And what parts of the horizontal love you have indulged yourself? And ask the Lord to help you. Amen?
Okay. Amen. That's good preaching, huh? Well, I'm going to do you all a favor and I'm going to skip the last point because I know you all ready to get the party started. I'm just going to mention it to you. But it's to work hard at developing authentic faith. Everybody believes God. Everybody has faith in God. But is it real? Is it genuine? You know, uh, I've been in ministry. I'm in my 25th year. And uh, January or February 8th of 2016 will be 25 years I've been in ministry. Prior to that, I worked in the oil field. And in the oil field, the company that I worked for, they had a retirement plan. And if you put some money in, they would put some money in with you. And whenever I quit after almost nine years, almost 10 years after, I had a chunk of change that they said, here, this is yours. You get to keep this with you when you go into the ministry. So I took that money and I invested it in with a financial advisor. And I was just noticing the other day, I was looking at my financial statement. And do you know the money that I had back 25 years ago? It's doubled and it's tripled. And I was like, wow, man, that is pretty cool. I wish I'd have saved a whole lot more. But it's called compound interest. And what I did whenever I was young, I'm getting the benefit now that I'm older. We've been talking to you about a couple of principles because we're saying, listen, you can just, you can always be looking for the next phase of life. You know, whenever I was single, I couldn't wait to get married. And then once you get married, I can't wait to have a child. And there's always something else to be looking for or inspiring for and not take advantage of where you are. Listen, we just want to encourage you tonight as, you know, Tanya and I, we, you know, I was 22 years old whenever I started coming to church here. And, you know, that's pretty young. So Tanya and I both grew up pretty much in church, you know, from that stage on. And, and I'm in my 50s now. Not telling you which number, but in my 50s. But I can tell you this, that if you will just take what we're telling you to heart, you know, Whenever your parents ask you to do something and you have a chance to rebel against what they say, just think about it. The reason why you don't want to do that is because there's a seed that everybody has. And if you choose to let God deal with that, whenever you get married, guess what? You're going to have a great marriage. If you don't deal with rebellion, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have a tough go at marriage because you're not going to want to submit yourself to marriage. Whenever you get a job, guess what? You're going to have trouble because you won't want to follow the rules at work and they're going to promote somebody else. They're going to give somebody else the raises and not you. It's going to affect you the rest of your life. You know what? If you learn how to serve, you know, when your mom and dad say, hey, would you go help little Johnny? Would you go bathe, you know, you know, Sue, whatever it is that your parents ask you to do. Would you wash the dishes, whatever it is? You know, I know you don't want to do that. But listen, just look at it this way. This is an opportunity for you to learn how to serve. And Jesus said, the greatest in the kingdom of God is the servant of all. Everybody knows about Mother Teresa. All she did was serve all her life. Everybody in the world knew who she was. She's in heaven now. But she served her way to greatness. And you can too. I'm telling you, you learn how to serve others. You will never lack for a friend. 
You will never lack to be used of God and for God to do something great with your life. Amen? And then, man, the devil is always trying to beat us up. Why would we want to play in his hands and beat ourselves up and tear ourselves down? Come on. We got to quit playing in the hands of the enemy. The Bible says that we are wonderfully made. That God doesn't make mistakes. Amen? And listen, when we look in the mirror, we might not look the way somebody else looks, but we look exactly the way that God made us to look, and we just need to accept that and just praise God for it. Amen? Learn to love yourself and accept yourself because you're only going to be able to love others to the point that you can accept the way that God created you. Amen? Would you stand with me and let's close in prayer. How many of you ready to let God do what God wants to do in your life? You ready to let God have his way? Listen, would you just close your eyes for just a moment? You know, I can tell you this. Whenever I was your age, I had the toughest time with rebellion than any other age. Because you're becoming a grown-up and you, you don't want your parents to tell you what to do all the time. And it's a real struggle. But listen, hang on. Before you know it, you're going to get a chance to have all the independence that you want. Just hang on. And just do it right. Let God work that respect for authority. Respect for your teachers. Respect for your parents. Respect for those, your coaches and pastors at church and leaders at church. Let God work into your life a servant's heart. Would you just ask Him right now to just help you not be selfish? Would you just ask Him right now to just help you to learn how to be a giver and not a taker all the time? And not be the one that has to have the biggest and the best? Would you willing to give somebody else the biggest and let somebody else have the best because you're just dealing with selfishness in your life and you just want to prefer somebody else? Come on, maybe you're here tonight and you say, Todd, I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling with just accepting who I am and just in loving myself. Would you just right now, right where you are, just let God's spirit, God's grace come upon you. Come on. God don't want you to just have faith and just to go to church. He wants you to have faith, genuine faith to believe him, for him to do great, great things in your life. Can you believe God for that? Do you believe God can do great things in your life? Do you believe that God can bring you places that you never dreamed you would go and do things you never thought you could do? God can just do more with your life than you ever thought possible, but you got to have genuine faith. You got to trust Him. You got to believe in Him. You got to be willing to just put your life in His hands and say, God, you lead me, you guide me, and I know that we're going to go in the right places and we're going to do the right things. Come on, let's pray together and let's ask God to just help us. Listen, if one of these points that we've just talked about just bears witness with you and just strikes a chord in your life, would you just do me a favor with everybody's heads bowed and their and your eyes closed? Would you just, just acknowledge that by just raising your hand and just say, Todd, would you pray for me? I need help in this area of my life. I need, I want to change. I don't want to be the same. I want God to do work. Come on, just acknowledge it to God right now and say, I want, I want to have, I want to have that, that submissive attitude. And I want to have a, a generous heart. I want to be changed. I want to be like Jesus. Help me today. Father, I pray for those that have their hands raised right now that are just genuinely hungry. 
hungering and thirsting for you, Lord, to do a, make a change in their life. And Lord, tonight we just pray for them and pray, God, that you would just move in their heart and that you'd move in their life and that you would just touch them in a deep way tonight. Lord God, I pray that, Lord, you would just change us and make us a little bit more like you. Lord, there's great potential in this room. Lord, there's a great generation in this room that can make a great difference for you, Lord. And I pray that, God, you would place your hand on them today and that you would just cause their life to explode with love and with your grace in their life. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Now listen, while you just keep your heads bowed for just a moment, if you hear tonight and you say, Todd, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I've never really asked God to forgive my sins. and I don't even know if I'm really a Christian but I want to be a Christian. Would you pray a special prayer for, for me? If that's you tonight, you say, I want, to, I want to give my life to Jesus. Would you just acknowledge that by raising your hand? If that's not you, would you put your hands down so I can make sure that I know who's saying, I want to give my life to Christ. Ma'am, I see your hand right here. I see a lady right here. Anybody else? Anybody else? This is a great, this is a great moment for you. This is a great opportunity for you. Sir, I, right here, just pray this prayer from your heart. Just pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I want to be a Christian. Just tell him that. I want to be a Christian. I want to live for you. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you forgive. Would you forgive me tonight? Would you give me a fresh start in life? Thank you, Jesus, for accepting me into your family. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now listen, those of you that prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor? And Pastor Elijah and Kia is going to be up here right when we get done. Would you just come let them know that you prayed that prayer so they can just give you some, some encouragement and, and just help you along the way. Amen. Well, you know, all this stuff we've been talking to you about, we've had the privilege of being able to apply that in our life. And we can tell you personally that if you just take God seriously and you serve Him seriously... Your life will be blessed like you never dreamed possible. Y'all believe that? Y'all believe that tonight? Come on, y'all believe that? Amen? Amen. Pastor Elijah, do you need to give a last word or let the party begin, huh? Well, God bless y'all. Thank y'all so much for letting us speak to y'all. Y'all be blessed. Have a good after party. You're dismissed.